0: Real Organic Project is a farmer-led movement that provides an add-on certification held by over a thousand certified organic, family-owned operations across North America. Real Organic Project strives to uplift farms working within the spirit, not just the letter, of organic principles. Real Organic Certified Farmers use practices that are centered around the foundational organic principles of soil-based crop production and pasture-based livestock agriculture. To remain accessible to all types of farmers, Real Organic Project fundraises year-round to keep this certification available at no cost to farmers. You can apply today at realorganicproject.org forward slash thrivingfarmer. That is realorganicproject.org forward slash thriving farmer. The current application season ends soon, so be sure to apply today. Hey Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here with yet another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. Today's podcast is going to be a little bit different. We have John and Bree Taylor who are traveling the country full-time in their RV as they search for their future farm. They both work remotely and Bree homeschools their three kids. They love visiting national parks and historical sites, but their main goal is to be on farm tours, visiting homestead conferences, and researching the areas that they may want to buy land and begin their farming adventure. In addition, Brie works for our company, Growing Farmers, where she provides customer support and a lot of behind the scenes, just making sure all the little pieces fit into place. And many of you that reach out to us get the correct answer to your question. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Great to be here.
0: Yeah. So uh, again, we met when you applied to work for us. And one of the things we found really interesting is that you're actively on your journey to become farmers or have your own farm and homestead. And we knew that'd be a natural fit for here at the team. How long have you been doing this digital nomad slash just no really place to call? Where do you get mail? I guess is the biggest question.
2: (laughs) Yes. So we have been full-time RVing since the fall of 2020. So two and a half years now, almost three years. We were on some land about an acre a few years ago, I guess about eight or so years ago. Yeah. And we were kind of renting. We had some chickens. We were kind of trying out life on some land. And, uh, and then we decided to build a house and we could not keep the chickens. And we ended up Going that route instead, and just a neighborhood for a while, due to just health reasons and just not feeling quite ready to get out there on some land, nor were we really able to because John was working, you know, near downtown Dallas, and it's just would have been a really far drive to get really out there onto some acreage. But after COVID and all the craziness, we thought, you know, let's really do what we have always kind of wanted to do. Uh So we put our house up on the market and sold a lot of stuff, almost all our things. And we live in a 44 foot toy hauler pulled by our truck with our three kids and a cat. And so it's been almost two and a half years that we've been doing that traveling around and he was able to go fully remote due to COVID. Mm -hmm. And that's what we've been doing.
0: Yeah. And John, you're in the tech industry.
1: Yeah. I'm basically what you might call a Mac admin. My job is you know, managing how Macs are used in enterprise. I work at a specific, mm-hmm. you know, single company. It's called Bottle Rocket. They're out of Dallas, Texas. Oh
0: yeah, uh huh.
1: They're part of a larger organization called Ogilvy, which if you ever watch Mad Men, they're always complaining about Ogilvy or competitor. Uh-huh.
0: Uh-huh. And
1: and so, it's it's a really great company. And fortunately for me, I've been there since they were like twenty three people, and they've grown up in the you know from two hundred up to three hundred, and you know they they hover in that range and. They make excellent products. And so I'm able to support the Bottle Rocket people and their technology. And I have three guys that work with me. So we we get it done. I've got some guys that go into the office in Dallas, but I'm able uh-huh. to work remotely. And that's fantastic.
0: Absolutely. And I'm assuming the flexible hours a little bit too, right?
1: Yeah. For the most part, we can check in and check out as needed. I can take you know some time off as needed. It's very, very flexible. As long as we plan ahead and we make sure bases are covered, It's it's uh-huh. pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, very cool. All right. So let's talk like the homesteading bug. Did you always have an aspect that you wanted to be back to the land? What was, was there one day that you're like, oh my gosh, we just want to be done with this life and we want a different life.
1: Yeah. I think it's interesting because my grandfather was a farmer out of Missouri. They had moved to California. My dad grew up on both the farm in Missouri and in California. And then he got into music. He moved to San Jose before it was Silicon Valley. He became a music teacher. So I grew up knowing nothing about farming, except that my dad is raising chickens in our backyard and he's got all the fruit trees of all kinds. You know, I I have really great memories of him butchering chickens in our backyard in the city, you know? And, you know, I don't know if that would even fly today. I'm not sure how it works in the Bay Area, but there is a part of me... I'm I'm over 50 now, so there's a part of me that still connects to the old way, you know, the simple farming way. So even though I'm an IT guy, even though I'm really into technology, even though I grew up through that city life environment, we would go camping, we you know do all kinds of homemade things. So there's part of that fabric in me. I think what happened is we got into COVID and started to realize that you know we already we already lean into food to to help heal ourselves. We already lean into essential oils. We do all these things Mm -hmm. um, and we're, we're kind of pulling away from what I would call establishment resources. And we're finding our raw milk and we're going to farmers to get our meat and we're doing all these things. I'm like, you know, there's probably more to this that we could just do ourselves. We just need to have land to do it. And so I think that was the start of it. There, there was this little inkling of, you know, what else can we do? and i think that's phase 1 when you realize that maybe the centralized system you're living in isn't quite living up to your expectations or what you thought it would be when you were younger and you see that you know there's people that are doing it in better ways all around you and those are the small farmers those are people that are you know doing organic or doing you know grass fed this and that and the other and we're looking for those dairy farmers like we talked about earlier and so that was the first step and then i think the second step for us was, you know, just from a, from a faith perspective, right. Mm-hmm. We, I went through this little transformation in 2015 with some books like the unseen realm and mm-hmm. listening to podcasts, like the Bible project. And there is a sense that you see how humanity starts and yeah, they get kicked out of a garden, but they're still farming,
3: mm-hmm.
1: you know, like, mm-hmm. like people have been farming from day one, you know, and, and sure. Cities are great, but, you know, typically when we're talking about cities in a biblical history, you know, some of them end up going, taking a left turn off the rails. Right. And so, and then I got into the whole health stuff with COVID and started connecting light
0: mm-hmm. and,
1: you know, healthier water and EMF and all these things. And mm-hmm. then what I in grounding, and I started to realize that, you know, ultimately the physical life that we have here on this earth it is connected to an earth that was designed to flourish and fill us and and feed us and, you know, enliven us. And what I'm seeing is that culturally in that centralized system, a lot of those things have been pulled back. They've been kind of diminished, you know, Mm -hmm. whether it's commercial food or commercial, you know, homes with LED lights and, you know, this, that, the other, and electricity everywhere and EMF and wireless. Mm -hmm. And so- <clears throat> the more I studied the more I realized we need to kind of regain some ground if we can so the vision for us was how can I move us in a modern world back to a little bit of the old ways to recapture the the life rhythms of doing things at a slower pace and doing things in a better way
2: I think a lot of it too is just seeing how much of our world is consumer based and you know seeing our kids, being raised and, you know, all about consuming and all this stuff is already done for you and really wanting to go to more of a producing place, like where we can be, our lifestyle is more about, you know, and and it's not even, you know, there's some that go the whole prepper route and they want to be completely self-sufficient. I think we want to be community sufficient. We want to find a community that we can you know, pour into in things that we will produce, and then also be supporting them in the things that we may buy from them. And, you know, all of that kind of stuff, just kind of being more focused on what we can do to produce. Yeah. And I think that
1: the idea of how that works, and a lot of your listeners may, you know, connect the dots here, but, you know, Not that we have or use Bitcoin in any way, but it's like this decentralized thing, right? You Mm -hmm. have your normal US dollars, very centralized, you know, totally controlled by, you know, the fiat system. Then you have decentralized money like Bitcoin. And it's just like peer to peer, point to point. Everybody, it's honest because everybody has the ledger, you know. And I think in some ways, our food system, whether it's small farms, homesteads, even big farms, if they can do it, if they can partake in this decentralized system, because I feel like we're kind of pushing towards this moment, you know, whether it's nationally or globally where the food system has an earthquake and individuals are going to have to step up and say, I want to be part of a decentralized system and I need to grow enough food to provide for my family and for those around me and whatever I can't produce, I need to find farmers around me that can bring those in. Mm-hmm. And we can get back to the old ways of bartering and trading and doing those kinds of things. So there's a part of it where I feel like we want to get ready for what may come, not knowing what will come. But also, just I think those ways are better when you decentralize and you just go peer to peer, if you will, with your food, with your health, with all those things, you start to thrive because that's how we were designed to do it, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think we're looking at, I mean, I think COVID showed us that the system doesn't work. And yep. the system, you know, it was broken on, on the food system was massively broken during COVID I mean, yeah. slaughtering tens and tens of thousands of animals, millions of animals across the U S and so, you know, if you kind of go back to that aspect of community, I think the biggest thing that's been lost is community. And yes. unfortunately you've got, you know, you've got your Netflixes and your prime videos, which again, silo you in your own little world with people that you're like Again, you're having like a basically an experience with, but it's not actually a real human person. Um, Amazon now delivers everything, so you never have to go to a store. Yeah. Um, you know, DoorDash can drop the food off at your door, and you basically just have to see them for thirty seconds, and you're done. So, what I think the last ten years is we've just been incredibly siloed, and we've lost community and way and and a lot of aspects.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly right.
0: All right. So, all right. So that was kind of the thought thought behind it. Talk to us a little bit about this journey and this trip you're taking, kind of like where are you stopping?
2: So we've done a lot of educational stuff on our travels, but we also are trying to educate us, the grown ups, with different farms and everything like that. So we've been to see Joel's Farm, Polyface Farm. Uh-huh. We visited some cork farmers in Ohio, Mushroom Farm in New York we've gone and seen how maple syrup is made and gone to dairy farms. And so we've kind of been up through the Northeast. In the winter, we go to Florida. Mm -hmm. And right now we are in Asheville, North Carolina, and then we'll be heading up to Ohio for a homesteading festival there. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of just depends on where we want to go. If there's a certain event that we want to go to, then we'll travel there. And then if there's certain places that I want to take the kids and Or we have family that we want to go see so it's it kind of depends it kind of changes and ebbs and flows Mm
3: -hmm, mm
0: -hmm. so all right so along the way you're finding different places you're visiting let's talk a little bit about so that's what your journey is but i guess maybe what i need to do is back up and say what what's your end goal with this i mean where do you what do you want because that's going to obviously change how you're making this trip i mean the what cool and remind me the name the ages of your kids again
2: so we have a 12, 11, and an eight-year-old.
0: All right. So they're in this age where they're going to remember a lot of this, and they're going to, yeah, they're prime age for taking these trips, mm-hmm. which is awesome. So yeah, I mean, a lot, So talk to us about what What do you feel like when you find your place? What does that look like?
1: I think, you know, what's interesting about that is that also is changing as we travel. And as we, you know, we do two things as we travel. We, we visit real farms. We consume a lot of just experiential videos on YouTube from other homesteaders that we follow. We try to read as much as we can. We, you know, try to get that hands-on experience, like I said, when we can on certain farms. Uh And what we're learning is that, you know, there's so many different um, questions you need to ask, like what type of land are you looking for? What kind of mix between pasture and forest? You know, do you have a water source? What is that water source? Is it shared with someone else? You know, all those things. And there's, there's so many questions, you know, can you be energy independent on that land or are you required to use, you know, electricity from the County or whatever? Uh So what we decided was, there's a lot of those questions that we have to answer. We're going to just give it our best. Here's what we think we want today. And then as we learn more, we're allowing that to shift and and translate over time to be Uh something different. And that's fine. I think what's happening is it's growing from like, Hey, we need like Mm. five acres. And now, like the more we learn, we're like you know, it might need to be ten or fifteen.
2: Yeah, the more mm-hmm. we visited the regenerative farms and seeing how they or the rotational grazing that they do and yeah, all of that, our acreage yeah. <laughs> that we want, you know, is creeping up. And then you know, after we visited the pork farmer in Ohio, it's like we have to have some woods because we had first. We're from Texas. Well, he's mm-hmm. from California, but I grew up and we've been in Texas for the past however many years. And so we were kind of leaning towards, well, maybe once we're done with all of this, we'll go back to East Texas because there's some hills and there's some trees and it's not just pasture. And then that's, you know, changed probably m- much to my family's sadness because they're, yeah. in Texas, but, yeah. but hopefully they will visit us. And so it has really changed more to, we're looking into East Tennessee and mm-hmm. in Carolina's kind of the western kind of up against the blue Ridge on either yeah. side is kind of where we're narrowing things down to and so definitely the size of the farm that we want is growing wanting um, mm-hmm. to have that mixture now and making sure that we're going to have some some woods to our property and then also learning about the different restrictions and zoning and all of those mm-hmm. things that are allowed I'm in a lot of different Facebook groups just watching a lot of a lot of the time not even posting more just seeing what other people are posting about you know lots of people are making the same move Um, but they have to go into the place that they're looking at for a week on vacation and then they go back home and we have the ability to go and like live there for a few months and correct yeah we are that's kind of what we're in the process of doing over this summer and our spring summer fall is kind of traveling around some of the different areas that we've really narrowed down to uh-huh. see what we think and then really get a feel for the community is really huge for me Yeah, visiting the farmer's markets. Is there a community of homesteaders here that are helping each other that are, you know, really walking together in their growth as, you know, small farmers or homesteaders. And then obviously homeschooling is a big thing for me. So looking for that community mm-hmm. yeah. as well. So yeah, it's just kind of been a process, and we are open as we meet other people and you know learn about the different areas that we're considering. And fortunately, we can spend the time there that we maybe need to to really see if it's the place for us.
0: Yeah, and so then the homestead—what does that look like animal wise? Are you going to have your full range? You I don't want goats. You do not want cats. <laughs> they want, they are really
1: cute when they jump, but we saw some sheep the other day that they kind of jumped did, cute. Yeah. Cute. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> not
0: just yeah, they got a little, little stiff four-legged jump. That is yeah. Super cute. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so is it was like a dairy torture? cow. Okay. All right. There we go. we
2: I mean, have mentioned raw milk is, is a big deal for us. So mm-hmm. we definitely want to have a dairy cow. We want to have chickens. I think we'd like to raise broilers, not yep. just laying hens, pigs. Yep. hmm Uh, Those are probably our main ones and we'll start with one and then, you know, get that under a belt. The
1: reason we may not, you know, mention more is we, we keep learning that a lot of the, the startup, when you're just getting onto the farm, you know, and starting to do these things, it can be really overwhelming if you try to bite off more than you can chew right away. Uh uh So, you know, we really want to be careful about that. You know, we're, we're here in Asheville, North Carolina. Uh Uh, We went to a conference two weekends ago. And, you know, I, I heard a talk from a, a family, this lady gave a talk and their whole homestead farm is raising dairy cows and they get them ready to go. And then you just basically sign up and get yourself on the list and they will train you how to milk it. They'll make sure they're, you know, trained and ready to go. And then they'll get it delivered. Interesting. To you. And what and type like, do they
0: typically do? What breeds? I,
1: I believe it was Jersey. Yeah.
2: I think she had jerseys. I mean, it was a
1: two milk. I think yeah. it's Jersey. So you know, we're making these connections. I'm like, well, this would, this would be brilliant. You know, we, we know that that first cow can be difficult. And if you've never milked and the cow's never been milked, you know, by you, then you're Mm going to have a struggle kind of figure that out together. You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, if one of you is a pro, then the other one usually can kind of figure it out over time. So there's a lot of wisdom that I think we're missing because we don't have the real world experience. And so we're trying to get that and learn that from people like Joel Salatin and others that Mm -hmm. are just, you know, homesteaders doing this already that have figured it out. And you'd be surprised how many different ways there are to do the same thing. Mm
3: -hmm. The
1: diversity of opinion and idea in the homestead community is pretty broad. And so, you know, I'm the kind of guy that looks at, you know, with being an IT guy and a problem solver and a technologist, I'm always looking for how do things work? How does this, you know, how do I wire it together? How do I, you know, frame it up Mm -hmm. and, and make it run the way I want to run it? So there's never one way to do it. And in farming, that's probably more true than any other thing. Um, you know, your episode that you just had about the electrification of the tractors. Yes. I mean, blowing my mind. That was such yeah. a great
0: great yeah.
1: episode. Yeah. And so, you know, I don't need a specific model of a certain thing. I need to keep an open mind. I need to look what I can reuse and, and do those types of things. So even from the animal perspective, we're not wanting to just like dive in. Mm -hmm. right away you know week one let's go get the cow you know
2: (laughs) yeah (laughs) something else that's kind of neat about visiting farmers markets and farms and our kids do groan a little bit when we're like okay we're going on a farm tour because we've done so many but they're seeing so many different ways to make money on the farm and it is i can tell causing little light bulbs to go off our youngest daughter loves flowers and and mm-hmm. so I'm still looking for a flower farm to go visit, even though some of the farms we visit have a little aspect of it, but not yeah. a ledge. And so she has already said, I want to grow flowers. And that's what she's excited about. And then our older daughter loves pottery. And so we've done pottery classes as we travel. And so we see that at farmers markets and that's something that she mm-hmm. kind of wants to do. And then our son enjoys sourdough making. And so it's just been really neat to see all these different things. And he really loves also seeing the different stuff that you can build on farms. And so, you know, even though we're having so much fun on the road, I am excited to get planted somewhere so that they can really grow in some of these areas that they're kind of interested in and Mm -hmm. see how they can help contribute to the farm, but also just grow in areas that might be potential, you know, paths for them down the road and stuff yeah. like that. So that's, well, good.
0: I think the big thing is just to get, if they can get the entrepreneurial bug, they will mm-hmm. never want in life. They'll there'll be lean mm-hmm. times, <laughs> but they yeah. will, they'll, they'll always be able to bounce back. And I think that's, yeah, I think that's really important. What would you say along your journey has been one of the most surprising things that you've discovered?
2: Just about the different places we visited.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, like the different farms you visited, or you're like, wow, I never thought that. Or okay, my thought was that this would be this
2: way. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know the pork yeah. farmer that yeah. was doing. I don't know why. I feel like this probably isn't a great example, but when a when we see the rotational grazing, like when we went to Polyface, and you know, they're they have of course they have so much acreage, and so they're yeah. moving. You know moving them massive
0: amounts yeah
2: yeah along when we went to the pork farmer you know we went into the woods and saw all the pigs and and everything and it was great but what blew my mind was he has some dairy cows and he has kind of the barn that he milks and then he had like a a dial hour yeah like a sundial dial
1: like hours block
2: for his rotational grazing so they would go out into this you know hour
1: and then from the middle, they would just head into the different.
2: And then they would go further back.
1: Pie shapes. Yes.
2: Uh, the next day, they would go further back within that section. And then he would, I don't know, and maybe that's common knowledge. Yeah. But to me, like that blew my mind. I was like, oh, wow, you you don't have to have tons and tons of acreage. So, but we can be really smart mm-hmm. about it and how we can, you know, divvy it up. So to me, that was really interesting. Something I never I thought think, of I don't know no, so that was that. a
1: really good one I mean you know and also the fact that they do a lot of their own like the little piglets you know they have mm-hmm. to be castrated I'm like you know I don't know if I can do that you know yeah. I think I might want to volunteer to come show me first you know but,
2: I, mean, I think there is so so many people that I mean at least I don't know what the statistic is but I've heard that there's a lot of people that are like I'm going to I'm going to grow a farm, I'm going to have land and I'm going to, you know, do all this stuff. And then like two years later, their farm is up for sale and it's just, it is hard work and not to say that we aren't going to have hard work, but I feel like we've had the advantage of traveling around and really meeting people, farmers, homesteaders, and really hearing and seeing what is the hard part for you asking all those questions and really getting a feel for what it's really going to be like. And I'm Mm -hmm. hoping that it will be a little bit less of a wake up call once we're actually on the farm. I know we're going to have moments, but I'm excited to kind of feel like we really understand what it's going to be like, even though we haven't, we're not out there doing it yet, you know?
3: Mm -hmm. Mm Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think, I, I think if you can, the less surprises that you have once you purchase the property are going to save, well, save you thousands and thousands of dollars, but also, well, even tens of thousands, because if you buy the wrong farm property, you can be in a lot of trouble, but also if you're not going to get burnt out within two years.
2: Yeah. Because yeah. You're right,
0: you do see that. John, going back to something you said about the electric tractor episode, it's funny you mentioned how that was interesting because we had someone reach out who basically blew it off and saying, well, you know, that's going to be exciting when those lithium batteries burst in the flame. And, you know, I was like, sure. Yep. That kind of stuff happens, but yeah, it's one of those things. Technology is changing. It's interesting to learn about it. If he doesn't want lithium batteries, that's fine. But yep. what they are doing up there in Canada with electrifying their entire farm is fascinating to me. And I think yeah. we should be learning about it, listening about it and trying to see where that is appropriate on your enterprise.
1: Yeah. I mean, the reality is, you know, no matter what type of technology you deploy, there's always some downside. Uh Uh, There's always some mild or not so mild health impact. Uh And, you know, he mentioned just the vibration and the exhaust, right? And right there, I'm like, that's why a lot of those big commercial tractors have the cabin and it's all air conditioned and sealed and, Uh
3: you know, all
1: the things, because it's it's a disaster if you have to put yourself into that for hours upon end. So I, I felt like, overall it was a great way to pivot from a product that didn't really achieve what he was hoping to do and then do something that was more sensible you know you you don't have to sit right on top of the electric motor and the batteries and absorb the emfs that are coming yeah. off of that you know you don't have to do it that way you can you can build it and use it in a way that's safe and so i think that was something that really challenged my you know my thought about how do we do this and and i'm still absorbing and digesting what kind of equipment will we need on a homestead? You know, uh-huh. a big farm is one thing, but a homestead, it's always debatable. You know, when do you need to introduce something motorized? You know, yeah. and of course the size of the land and all the different requirements, they all play into that. And so we're we're kind of waiting to see what land is it before we start deciding what do we need to do on this uh-huh. land, you know?
0: Yeah,
3: yeah, absolutely.
0: Joining me is Ariel from The Real Organic Project. Ariel, welcome. Thank you. So Ariel, tell us a little bit about what The Real Organic Project stands for.
3: Yeah, so The Real Organic Project is a farmer-led nonprofit that manages an add-on certification for certified organic. And the whole idea is we want to give farmers that are doing things the right way within the spirit of the rules a way to differentiate themselves from some of the corporate organic on supermarket shelves that only meets the most cynical definition of something that would actually be organic. So what that means is we're only working with farms that are growing their crops in healthy, biologically active soil, as opposed to growing hydroponically. And we're only working with farms that are raising their animals with real access to the outdoor pastures, as opposed to these confinement operations, which again, unfortunately, are dominating the organic sections of many of our supermarkets. But Michael, I know you're actually interested in potentially pursuing Real Organic Project certification for your farm. Do you want to talk a little bit about why why that's of interest to you?
0: Yeah, I've always been a big proponent of the Real Organic Project because they stand for what I stand for, you know, the feeling about putting the organic back in the ecosystem of the farm. I mean the problem when you have this corporate organic is that it's been watered down to the lowest common denominator. Then you know frequently there's more plastic than plants in some of these systems. Real organic is more about caring about those who care about the soil. And, you know, going back to that original idea of why we farm organically, which is, you know, we want the birds to be singing in the background and the the soil to be alive and the earthworms. And when you look at some of these corporate organic, it's just as sterile as the conventional farms that we're competing with.
3: Yeah, I think that's, I think that's really well put. And I think what we really want to do is find a way to uplift and differentiate the folks that are genuinely doing things the right way for the right reasons, and not just finding the simplest, easiest way to check a bunch of boxes.
0: Mm, Absolutely. And if folks want to find out more about the Real Organic Project, you can go to realorganicproject.org forward slash thriving farmer. That's realorganicproject.org forward slash thriving farmer. So what do you feel like Of the historic sites that you visited, because this is something in the next couple of years, I'm hoping that we can take our kids on a trip like this. Of the historic sites, which was the most impactful for you?
2: Well, I loved Mount Vernon, but Monticello was really beautiful. I bought seeds from there too. I, yeah, I think just walking among the different gardens and seeing, you know, obviously they're very beautifully laid out and we are going to the Biltmore this weekend. Okay. To, yep. You know, they have a huge garden and conservatory and all of that. So I'm excited to see that too. But obviously they're very ornate and and everything. But at Mount Vernon, we were able to go down and see the farm that they have there. So they have kind of the gardens up near the house, but they also have a whole area that you can walk around uh-huh. and they have animals there. They were shearing sheep when we were there. And then we saw like the cool octagonal barn that he basically created or designed. Um, Mm -hmm. And so just learning about all of these old farming practices and all of that is really neat to see. And then we went to Williamsburg Mm -hmm. and also kind of walked around that area as well and seeing all the little gardens and things. So probably Mount Vernon is what stands out to me the most. There is a place that my daughter and I went to that showed farms in different countries and time. Um, I will have to look up the link of that place. Virginia, it was in Virginia.
0: Oh, is that the, the colonial villi- the village there in the Stanton area?
2: Possibly. Yes,
0: they have <laughs> been yeah, a lot think, of Yeah, I've been there a couple of times. Yeah,
2: so you can kind of go see a farm in you know 1870 or and then you kind of drive your little golf cart down further and then you see a farm in you know England and that was really really neat to kind of just see all these different things and they had some people there that were in the different places that were you know making things and stuff like that so that was also a really neat place to visit yeah and then we're going to the Biltmore this weekend so yeah
0: yeah very cool and now, then you're also heading up into Ohio to do a couple of different conferences or, or, yes. As
2: well. So, we're going to a homesteading festival up there. And I'm really excited about that because it is very family oriented. Some of the places that we've been, they've been great, but not, there's not as much for the kiddos to do. Mm-hmm. And this one is going to have pottery classes and like a high ropes course. So our son is very excited to go do yeah, that yeah. while learning. And so I'm going to learn how to can, he's going to a rotational grazing class, timber build, a
1: timber framing build, timber class. Framing.
2: Yeah, just all of these great hands-on candle making, all of these different workshops. I'm very hands-on. And so as great as conferences can be where you sit there and just, you know, get all the information, yeah, something about being hands-on with it just really makes it stick and helps you to really... I think, decide, is this something that we want to, you know, add to the farm eventually? Yeah. So we're going to be going up and and doing that for a weekend.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but your goal is not to full-time farm on this. Your goal is more to be, you're more a homesteader with that, just more providing for you and your families, your family.
2: I would say, yes, starting out, our goal is to, you know, be homesteaders, try to produce as much as we can in the garden and and Mm -hmm. growing some things Mm -hmm. but probably more long term you know he's not too terribly far from retiring
1: gotcha yeah we'll see yeah
2: (laughs) so i mean there is some thinking of like okay what what are some you know things that we can do to have a few different income streams on the farm not necessarily go full-on farming and farmers markets and all that kind of stuff but i don't know we're open to it but we are fortunate that we have his job and he can work remote so we can kind of go wherever we need to go as long as we have good internet Mm -hmm. and we'll kind of take it from there i think and see what what we maybe do well at and what we don't do well at and could something come into fruition that this becomes an actual income stream for us and then we can consider ourselves an official farm so maybe yeah
0: yeah. And you did mention that harvest hosts. You also you've been doing a bunch of harvest hosts along the way as well as you'd like to have that on the property.
2: Yes, that is something that we have really enjoyed being full time. We love going and staying at harvest hosts. We've done, you know, dairy farms and just, you know, kind of regular farms with animals and all sorts of different types. We've stayed at Whipperwill Farm, which who's been one of your guests on the podcast, Marissa amazing farm down near savannah georgia and Mm -hmm. they have rv spots and like a little tiny house and we really love seeing that and you know i've chatted with her about you know how that how that works for her and and then there's a few other farms that do the same thing as we've traveled where you can you know not Mm -hmm. just stay for one night but actually you know pay and stay for the week or you know different things like that and there's a whole organization where you can go and rv and stay on a farm for months for, you know, the free spot and help mm-hmm. on the farm and things like that. So, you know, there's so many opportunities to go and visit those, those farms, but it's a, a definitely an interesting income stream potential for us because we love the RV community and meeting other RVers and they're just really cool people. And yep. so it would be really neat to meet us then to be on that side of it. Mm-hmm. And having people come through and getting to meet them and showing them the farm and yeah, Harvest Host is just so great because you, you know, you get a place to stay, you get to see how other people, you know, live or, you know, sometimes it's a museum and different things mm-hmm. like that. But my my favorite is the farms because I know I'm supporting this farm. We're learning a little bit while we're there and making those connections.
1: You know, one of the ideas we had were, were for the visitors, you know, if they want a wake up call, we would just box up one of the roosters and just set it right next to their window.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, problem solved. And then they can help get up and do chores in the morning with us.
3: That's
2: actually really clever. Yeah. I'm not sure how well the reviews will be Yeah, that.
1: they might not visit Well, again. If,
2: they, if they ask
0: for that, that would be, right. right. yeah, I mean, it's a whole experience. You could have <laughs> it on like, like a wheeled little coop that you just yes. at a certain time. And they say, I want to be woken up at... 645. Okay, we'll wheel that coop over at 645 and open the window and let the rooster out. So yeah, cool. Well, what would you say to, you know, someone who's living in suburbia and is looking, you know, to take this journey? What kind of advice would you share?
2: Hmm.
1: Well, I think, you know, one of the things that really worked for us when this all started, like, like she mentioned, initially, we were like, we've got to find some land around this North Dallas area that we can do it. Cause I have to be within reach of the office. Uh-huh. And so, you know, just wonderfully is it has worked out for us to kind of be freed from that anchor point. And that's really difficult for a lot of people to do. They're, they're not going to have that freedom. You know, I think more people do have that freedom today than ever before, but there are some companies that are shifting back to like, hey, get your rears back in the office. Let's go again, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's fine too.
2: And not a lot of people homeschool. We already homeschooled. We had already, That was yeah,
1: from the beginning, we were homeschooling. So it definitely made it easier for us to kind of embark on this. But I do see, even at my own company, there are people that are embracing that, you know, RV travel lifestyle. And that's usually where it starts. And then they kind of shift their way into like, maybe I need to do things differently. Mm -hmm. So to get started you know, if you can't travel, it really is about seeking out the farmers in your area. Even in Dallas, we were finding multiple sources of raw milk, um, you know, fresh sourdough from authentic bakers that were long culturing organic wheat, you know, the whole nine yards. There's a place, a butcher shop in McKinney. I don't know if I'm allowed to, you know, say the places, but the names, but you know, it's, it's a great local yokel is the name of it in McKinney, Texas. And they have like they have these steak classes and you go and you're like, oh, this, I've learned more about cows and beef and how they raise them, you know, organically. And the the grass-fed Wagyu was like second to none. I've never Mm. tasted a more tender, you know, hamburger patty or steak ever in my life. And it's delicious. And then they would bring in the sourdoughs and the different cheeses from all these different farms. So, you know, challenge number 1 for anybody that's wanting to do this is start thinking if you haven't already about where you get your food. That's that's just a given. If you're not questioning what's in the supermarket, you need to start doing that now and you need to start learning, you know, what constitutes good bread, good cheese, good dairy. That that's going to be a process. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had about raw milk that went for about 3 minutes and then it was over cuz they're like, "Yeah, I can't listen to this" or "I'm not sure about that" or "I don't you're crazy." You know, I'm never going to drink raw milk. And you know, not everybody wants to go buy three books about raw milk and read the history of it. You know, yeah. I did. I wanted to do that. Yeah. And it connected so many dots for me. But people that aren't going to do that, they're just not going to go there. So I think that's the first challenge is like start to open your mind a little bit that there might be a different way or a better way to do things. And then just start making small changes, you know, make connections with other farmers. Because I think people instinctively will sense that they need to do that anyways. When the grocery shelves are empty
3: uh-huh. and
1: you and there's no pasta, how do you make pasta at home by scratch? You know, like, do you even know how to do that? Not that you need pasta to live, but, you know, it'd be nice to have once in a while. And so, yeah. you know, it's those kinds of things. Start, start small, make relationships, start visiting those farms. And then if you say, you know what, I want to get my family in a place where I can grow, I can have an animal you know, it may just be as simple as moving, you know, five miles out of town. And now you've got it. You're out of the city and you're in the county
3: Uh Uh and the county is like,
1: you can do whatever you want. You know, here's your five. acres, Have fun. Yeah. So I think that's a great way to start.
2: I think there should be more conversations among people about going in on land together. Uh Uh I, you know, many of our friends are, I'm always like hinting. Come on, yeah. we can buy this together. We can yeah, buy this together, and then we can, you know, split it and, you know, yeah. all that kind of stuff. And no takers quite yet, but still working on them. But, but we've met some people, you know, lots of different people on the road that are doing the same thing, that are looking for where they want to be. And unfortunately, none of the none of those friendships have where we want to be yeah. in the same place yet. You know, we have some people that are going to Wyoming this this mm-hmm. summer. by, But yeah, I think talking with other people and in you know or generational farming there's hardly any of that anymore you know mm-hmm. i think that that is is so cool and i'm hoping that our next generation will want to stay stay close by at least and be a part of yeah. a generational farm and, and
1: speaking of that that generational farm there there were quite a few people at church before we left town that i would talk with and they're like oh yeah our family has you know, 50 acres just outside of Dallas somewhere over here an hour away, you know, if you don't have access to that land to buy it, but it's in the family, you know, start calling your relatives and saying, can we come out and start setting up our garden? You know, can we, can we do some stuff here? Can we, you know, make something as an emergency backup, you know, whatever that may be, because I do think there's, there's two elements. There's the, there's the prepper mindset. Then there's just the people that just want to have access to their own food. Mm -hmm. And, and then from there, it can just blossom into whatever happens for them. You know, they love it so much. They want to quit their job and farm full time that, that happens. So, you know, it could be family land and the family is just like, well, you're doing such a great job with this land that I never use, you know, let's figure out a way for you to buy it from us. You
2: know,
3: Mm -hmm.
2: I think another thing that people, if they are not able to, you know, go fully remote in their RV. Airbnb, there's lots of other websites out there I'm sure where you can search for a farm stay, and you can go stay on a farm in a cute little tiny house or whatever, or a little glamping tent, um, or cabins, or all sorts yurt. of things, or a yurt.
3: There's, there's so many <laughs> yeah. options
2: out yeah. there. You don't have to just have a camper, but maybe that make that your vacation this year instead of you know going somewhere else. Maybe you go and stay on a farm and, you know, help them milk and help them collect eggs and, you know, just see what it's like. I think that you don't necessarily have to do the whole full-time RV thing. You can still definitely um, seek them out. Or if it's just a Saturday, I think just making an effort to get out there and meet other farmers and homesteaders and just see what life is like out there.
0: Mm -hmm. No, I think that's a great idea to take your vacation and visit a few farms. Instead of the beach, there's too many people on the beach. <laughs> all right. Well, it has been a pleasure having you two on and sharing your journey and your story. And, you know, as John said, before we got on and we we'll have to back, back back on in about a year or so when you bought your property and we'll talk about, you know, how you found it and all the fun stuff around that. So again, thank you two for coming on and sharing everything.
1: Awesome. Thank yeah. you
2: for having
0: us.
1: Thank you so much. Absolutely.
0: Real Organic Project is a farmer-led movement that provides an add-on certification held by over a thousand certified organic, family-owned operations across North America. Real Organic Project strives to uplift farms working within the spirit, not just the letter of organic principles. Real Organic Certified Farmers use practices that are centered around the foundational organic principles of soil-based crop production and pasture-based livestock agriculture to remain accessible to all types of farmers, Real Organic Project fundraises year-round to keep this certification available at no cost to farmers. You can apply today at realorganicproject.org forward slash thriving farmer. That is realorganicproject.org forward slash thriving farmer. The current application season ends soon, so be sure to apply today.